Is your wallet lighter than usual after a fun-filled summer? A little cash can go a long way, which is why the Chime checking account has tons of benefits you'll love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today. Get started at Chime.com fee-free. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services and debit cards provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stripe Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we welcome Zach Peake, who is coming off a very strong 2021 season between the Delmarva Sewerbirds and the Aberdeen Ironbirds. The right-handed pitcher will join us to talk about his season. Uh, and we'll get to that interview in a moment. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer 4 and Home Carpet 1. Mercer is a third-generation family business. It was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. Now, to start the show, we want to shout out our newest uh, patrons who have signed up for our subscription platform through Patreon, which we rolled out a few weeks ago. Uh, it has been going very well, and we appreciate the support. And Bob's going to shout out the new members. Yeah, we got three new people. Thank you, guys. Dwight Hare. Scott Creek and Michael Vetter, shout out to you guys for uh, signing up and continue to get that daily content every day. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the support. So tonight's guest for this episode of On the Verge is a right-handed pitcher in the Baltimore Orioles farm system. He was hired by the Orioles back in 2019 as part of the trade with the Los Angeles Angels that sent Dylan Bundy to L.A. Uh, he pitched his first professional season in 2021 between Delmarva and Aberdeen. He is Zach Peak. Zach, how are you? Hey, doing well. How are you, Zach? Good. Um, so this was a big season for you in a lot of respects. Uh, coming off the pandemic, your first full season in the minor leagues, your first season as an Oriole uh, where you were pitching in games competitively. Now that it's over, how would you evaluate your own season? Um, you know, like looking back, it's really hard to look back and uh, accurately evaluate something because there's ups and downs, but uh, – I think I put together something I could, you know, rest my hat on and uh, genuinely kind of be proud of. Uh, I feel like a lot of guys um, kind of were in the same boat coming out of Corona. We didn't didn't really know what we had 
you know, you were throwing in lives and you were competing indoors and stuff like that, but you weren't really in between those lines and a blue behind the plate and everything like that. So it was just nice to kind of go out and, you know, find a little bit of initial success. And then it's kind of like riding a bike. You just kind of hop back on it. So it was, you know, once, once you got back on the horse, it was nice for the whole season. Your first start was you got rained out after like two innings, right? What was that like? <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a tough one. Uh, I gave up a, a bomb to Joe Davis. What was it like in the first or second inning, right there? And then I then got to see him at the very end of my last outing. So uh, that was kind of a nice little nice little inning there. <laughs> nice. Uh, can you just kind of put into words what it meant for like you, your family to finally get out there back on the mound after having 2020 wiped away? And, you know, after the Angels draft you in 2019, you didn't get to see the field in a minor league game and then no 2020 season. So it's been a while since you became a pro before you finally got to pitch in a meaningful game. And what did that mean uh, to you personally? Uh, it, was, it was a long time coming. Uh, like you said, it was just kind of a lot of waiting. Uh, you know, with the Angels, it was kind of, a plan so i understood it there and then 2020 nobody could plan that so uh like i said it was just so nice to kind of get back out there and you know have an umpire have fans and you know compete and feel those juices go again it was and in all respects it was like exactly what you would have hoped it to be if i'm being honest And what a trade that was. We liked it at the time, but even after this full season here, it's looking better and better between you, Kyle Bronovich, Kyle Bradish, and Isaac Matson. What's the relationship you have with those guys that came over from the Angels? Maybe even Gene Pinto and Garrett Stallings, too, if you have anything with them. Uh, I'm not familiar with Pinto, but uh, I do know all the other guys. Uh, me and Stallings were very, very close over there, so that was a huge trade year after. Um but me, Brnovich, Bradish, and Isaac all were together there when we were first traded uh, over here. And we just kind of stuck tight because we didn't know anybody and everybody else had already kind of formed their friendships. So we, we kind of hung tight there for the first little bit until we, you know, Isaac had to go. But, uh, you know, me and Bradish are still very close and uh, me and Berno still keep in contact. So uh, it was it was nice to be traded over with, uh, like, guys that have – come over here and prove their name here as well. So so how closely did you follow them this season? I followed all – I kept up with all of those guys. Yeah, they certainly had good seasons. So you spent about the same amount of time in Delmarva and Aberdeen, and your numbers were pretty similar between the two levels, except your walks took a big dip when you went to Aberdeen. Did you make a specific adjustment once there that helped improve your command? And um, I don't think it was necessarily like a, a, maybe more of a, a mental adjustment than a mechanical adjustment. Um, just kind of hearing different cues uh, from Josh Conway, uh, not to take anything away from Robbie, but uh, just like different cues there from Josh, different thought processes on, uh, you know, how to get down the mound and how to stay through like a, a clean window rather than kind of getting rotational and out and wide with it. So uh, it was just kind of small things that, uh, you know, kind of made a big difference there, I felt. Speaking of Conway, that was actually a question I had. We heard so much about, you know, Justin Ramsey and Ryan Fuller and Buck Britton and the guys in the upper levels of the minor leagues and the impact those instructors and coaches had on player development this season. But Josh Conway is a name that I don't think most people, even, you know, diehards like us who follow the minor league system have heard a lot about. 
Uh, how is he able to help you transition to high A ball and find success there uh, on this team as a whole? What, how big of an impact has he had? Um, Josh is fantastic. Uh, I think I think all of our pitching minds are really good and really bring something different to the table. Um, it's not necessarily cookie cutter. Like each each you know pitching instructor kind of has their way of going about things and kind of has different ways of getting things out, guys. But uh, you know, Josh is just really intelligent. And doesn't he's not going to overdo you to death. He's not going to get you to do what what might be right on paper, and then you know not have success with that. It's going to allow you to do what you're successful with, and then we're going to you know make the best that we can possibly make that. And so that was kind of really helpful, and and I res- I really respected him for that because he, necess- he never necessarily tried to change, you know, what we had had success with all year. He was just like, hey, think about this. So, you know, that was, uh, I, I really appreciated that. And like I said, he's very smart. All right. There's a, there was an article that came out about a month ago that said maybe the Orioles pitching prospects covered was bare. Um, from your firsthand look, at least at the guys you pitched with, how would you evaluate the pitching talent in the Orioles organization? Set you up here. Uh, dude, we have an unbelievable amount of arms. Um, as long as everybody continues to progress the way that they're supposed to progress. Uh, the, the amount of knowledge I think that we have is, is, is really special. Uh, being able to bounce like pitch ideas off of different guys and being able to share grips like over an entire staff, everybody's able to kind of, you know, benefit from just talking like curveball grips or slider grips or whatever it is that you got to be asking about. Everybody really knows their stuff. And so it's really helpful. And it, I feel like it's building our system even more because, you know, say a guy's struggling to find a curveball. All right, go sit in the pen for 15 minutes. And I imagine you'll hear a tip on a curveball or you can like, you can go and ask, you know, Brandon Young has a fantastic curveball. We've been working on Stoffer's curveball. You're like, it's just like little things like that that uh, I think really help build, you know, the miners as a whole. It's just kind of everybody being able to share information. Awesome. Was there a particular teammate that you would go to for that kind of advice sometimes, or do you feel like it was just as a unit collectively across the board, there was just a lot of good information being shared uh, among the pitchers? Uh, like I said, I think everybody, you know, has the right tip for the right pitch. Um, but I, you know, like my go-tos are probably like Brandon Young or like Jake Prezina. I talked, I talked pitching with Prezina probably every single game that we weren't both out there pitching, but, um, you know, those little things that you, those little talks in the dugout, like those kind of benefit you. Uh, like we were able to pick Westberg's brain on like a day that he was, you know, down and he was either one of his off days or it was like the day that he got hit or whatever it was. But just to be able to ask him my questions, um, like how hitters see the baseball or, different tips and different things just to hear them from another person in our organization who's going to play at a very high level of baseball. So it's just so beneficial to everybody, I think. That kind of leads into the next question we had, which was that throughout the season, we heard how strong the clubhouse culture was at Bowie uh, and how good the communication between the players and even from pitchers to hitters was really strong, how good the coaching staff was. But what was the clubhouse culture like in Delmarva and Aberdeen? Was it something similar to what we were hearing about Bowie? 
Dude, um, I it must be a standard. Everybody, everybody must have awesome clubhouses because I really enjoy my time in Delmarva and Aberdeen. Um, you know, it's really hard to bump into somebody that you dislike. Uh, you know, everybody's uh, like I said, everybody's kind of in this together, and it was a and it was a nice nice thing to feel kind of all year was uh you know like willie yawn we'd see him like every couple of weeks but you know it was like a family every time that he was in town it was the you know what's up willie so it just i feel like that kind of carries over like organized like not organization but level to level i like you said i i don't know anything about Bowie, and uh i'd imagine norfolk is the same but Aberdeen and delmarva were very enjoyable there seems to be like the Willie Yan. I know whenever we put a tweet about Willie Yan, uh, people go crazy. People love Willie Yan. Um, what is it about Willie Yan that just makes him such a, a lovable person? Dude, he's one of the most genuine guys you're ever gonna meet, and he's always Willie. Like, he's never gonna like censor himself. He's never gonna be somebody else. He's always gonna be Willie. And it's just like, I don't know. It's nice to be around. He plays hard, makes big plays. You know, it's just kind of fun to watch. Got nice hair. Stylish man on the <laughs> on the field. Um, looking at your specific plans this offseason, do you have any specific like goals that you hope to achieve this offseason, whether it's you know developing uh, another pitch, working on a, a third or fourth pitch, uh, increased velo? What is what's your game plan for this offseason? So last offseason, um, I kind of worked backwards uh, for kind of my pitching career. I've always uh, like you know trained heavy fat fastball and just fastball command and I was just going to throw fastball by people well in pro ball that changes so uh I went and heavy developed my off speed last off season and you know I'd like to say that's in part what helped me have a successful season this year but uh so this year this coming off season and current off season I'm just going to train excuse me I'm going to train predominantly just fastballs uh like fastball command, get where I can throw it on a dot again. And I know I'm going to have curveball, knock on wood. I know I'm going to have curveball, slider, changeup. So uh, I'm going to focus predominantly on command this offseason and, and velo. Sweet. So might even see more strikeouts than we did this year. And we saw a lot of them. And that was cool because you had an awesome K-strut whenever that happened. So <laughs> where does that come from? Is that just something you feel in the moment with the competitive juices flowing? Or, or what's that about? Uh, yeah, it just uh, – I don't even have time to think about it. It just kind of happens. You know, some some days they were kind of like tough and rigid and mean, and then other days they were kind of hopping and skipping. So it's, uh, it's just kind of whatever the mood is out there and kind of let it let it happen. <laughs> I don't try to I don't, be, I, I don't try to be too overt with it, but uh, <laughs> I, I do I do enjoy myself. We would That's always um, talk about your case strut and Ignacio Feliz's. Were the two yes. we always look at and thought there's yes. like two backs in the system and it's not close. Yes, Ignacio is incredible. Dude, his is awesome. <laughs> How did he, speaking of Ignacio Feliz, we know he got that bump up to high Aberdeen as well, but he seemed to kind of struggle a little bit more. Um, how did he take that uh, promotion and the, the struggles that he experienced? Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask him like in depth, um, but you know, Feliz is one of the guys that brings the same attitude to the ballpark every single day. You know, he's always out there with a smile on his face, always out there just kind of laughing and cutting up. So, like, you would never know if he gave up 15 the night before or, you know, if he just had out in his life. So there's something to be said for that. 
and like he's always going to be even keel and always going to show up to the park the same so he's he's going to have success so even though you were drafted in 2019 this was your first year of pro ball so you've only experienced this kind of unconventional scheduling format we had this year where it was six consecutive games against one team followed by an off day right do you like that format or are you kind of eager to go back to the more traditional three or four game series uh, that we used to see in the minors before this year? Um, Like you said, I have nothing to compare it to. Um, But if I was speaking for the, like other guys that I heard speak about it, they kind of enjoyed it, especially the guaranteed off day. That was like a, a huge thing Uh, really like lets our body recover and like allows us to, you know, just have one day to kind of, breathe and then get back after it but the biggest the biggest thing that will change when we go back is uh the pitchers having to throw twice against the same team like uh say you started on a tuesday and you need to throw again on a sunday that was like uh i felt like that's so volumes as to you know how how that pitcher operates if you saw him make an adjustment like you know tuesday to sunday that that that's kind of going to change with the three four games if we go back to that but uh that was kind of interesting to see as well you know say a guy gets roughed up on tuesday and see him turn it around and shove it on sunday it's kind of cool to see so for you personally did you feel like that played into your hand the ability to make an adjustment within a few days and go back out and face that same lineup again um in the beginning of the season it felt like more of a challenge um it was it, it kind of yeah kind of felt like a challenge it was like okay they've kind of seen everything that I had, you know, now I got to go out and beat him again. Um, Later in the year uh, in Aberdeen, I kind of had, you know, a smarter approach maybe coming into those weeks, say like on a Tuesday, I'd I'd save one little back pocket, say I never showed a front door slider. Um, I would, that kind of happened my last one that I did Tuesday, Sunday, I didn't show any back door sliders on Tuesday. And then I worked on or front door sliders, excuse me. And I worked all week on throwing front door sliders and then came back and threw front door sliders on Sunday and had success. So like uh it wasn't it wasn't the best at the beginning, but then you could kind of find out how you could beat lineups twice. If you had to grab a bat and step into the batter's box against <laughs> one of your teammates from Delmarva or Aberdeen, who is the last guy you would want to see up on that mound and why? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think it would have to be, <sighs> I wouldn't want to see Stoffer, to be honest. Stoffer is such a big boy and his <laughs> delivery is like there and in your face. That would be, that would be, I wouldn't like to see him or Brandon Young because BY is just going to buzz a tower and then do whatever he wants in there. So <laughs> either of those guys, no thanks. On the I flip wasn't the side, best hitter in high school either. So. <laughs> on the flip side, and I like these questions because I know we had Spencer Watkins on before. He left for spring training, and I know he said like Ryland Bannon gave him the biggest fits in, in the system. And so it's cool to hear you know, the guys, you guys yourselves that are out there facing each other. You guys know each other better than obviously any national evaluators these prospect guys do. Uh, right. So it's fun to hear these tidbits like that about you know guys like Stoffer, but – on the flip side of that, uh, which of the hitters that you've played with uh, would give you the biggest challenge, we'll say? Because we know you can strike them out, but who's going to give you the biggest challenge uh, up in the batter's box? I, 
you know, I, I made it through spring training clean and Hudson Haskins hit two of the furthest balls that I've still had hit off of me like all year, the very last day of spring training. Like, oh, two pitch up and in, like should have struck out and he hit it like well over the minor league trees there at uh, Twin Lakes. So I got to go Hudson. It's that awkward stance. You know, you're not expecting it. I swear he like he dropped a bunt that went foul and then I like painted one on the corner and I was like, okay, like, you know, got him. And then like, oh, two. I was like, what just happened? So, yeah, so, it's got to be Hudson. <laughs> awesome. So next season, we're assuming you're going to start in double A Bowie's rotation. What do you, what do you think is going to happen next year? You're going to, you're going to make it all the way up to triple A Baltimore. What's going to happen? 2023 debut. I, uh, I really like to, you know, set, set like high goals, uh, like high, almost unachievable goals. So, uh, obviously I'm going to set my sights as high as I can set them. But, uh, you know, I, I just like to, uh, repeat, not repeat necessarily, but, you know, add another year like this year and just continue my consistency and just kind of consistent a change up. I'd like to find a change up consistently. And, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you see me in AAA next year. Nice. I did want to ask you, too, about uh, some of the catchers that you've been able – that have been uh, behind the plate for you this season, the low yeah. levels, guys like like Maverick Hanley in particular. Uh, I know he was injured a lot at the end of the year. Did you get to – did he get to catch you any at the end of the year? Yes. Uh, we worked together at Brooklyn, I believe it was, was the last time I threw to Mav. And that was, that was a great – that was a great day for all involved. Uh, I think we – that was a great game, but uh, – that was the last time we got to work together. I really love Mav on the plate. Uh, I've heard stories that he will literally, if the ball is on the corner, he will palm the baseball instead of having to reach the extra bit. Like he will purposely palm the baseball so he can get the call instead of catching it in the net. So he is fantastic behind the dish. I was going to ask you, like, we've seen some of the clips, obviously, like back picks over to first base. He's getting guys out yeah. left and right. And it's just, yeah. it seems like his defensive IQ is just out of this world. And so it's fun to hear uh, a pitcher who's throwing to him. Like, how much of a benefit is it to have a guy like Maverick Hanley behind there? It's, uh, it's really beneficial because, uh, like, he catches the base runners off guard. So he obviously catches us off guard. So it's like, you know, when he comes up and snap throws on, like, a weird pitch kind of, like in, like, you know, he does it in weird pitches, like weird counts and catches everybody off guard. So it's kind of, it's fun. It's electric. Uh, yeah, I but I, like, I can't, look. I I can't not talk about um, Ramon. Like I worked with Ramon all year. That's, that's my guy. Like I gotta, I gotta <laughs> give Ramon some love. Uh, just his sequencing behind the plate really kind of kept me in it this year. Weird pitches and weird counts and I'd be gripping them in my glove ready to throw them. So. My boy Ramon. I feel like Logan Michaels had a few games like that towards the end of the year too. That guy seems like a good defensive catcher. Hundred percent. I got the chance to throw to him. Uh, I think like my second outing in Aberdeen. There, he came up to fill in, and he did a bang up job behind the play. I I loved having him on there. The, the UVA Logan guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, UVA guy. Okay. It's it's hard to cheer for him in college, but now he's one of us, so it's all good. Right, we can we can let it slide. Well, Zach, we really appreciate you coming on. I do have one question, though, just because I've heard you talk a lot about 
working in, you know, you're improving your secondaries is your big focus this offseason. What would you say was the single best pitch you threw this year? I think my curveball, <clears throat> curveball slider, the in between, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, yeah, I'd say that was my favorite pitch to go to. Uh, you know, I, I kind of, it's the same grip predominantly, it's just kind of uh, manipulation based. So either I get curveball out here or I get like slurve there. So it's kind of either there or there. So I just kind of use that and I would spin one in and then throw the other one and then throw one shape and then show the other one. So it was just kind of, you know, whatever was on that day I threw, I loved throwing curveball, slider, fastball, whatever. And I've heard that the the spin rate on that curveball is like truly elite, like compared to like major league quality elite spin rate. So uh, is that is that your your weapon of choice there? Uh, I would I would say yeah. If I had to reach in the cabin and grab something. It's probably my curveball. Um, when I can find it, uh, I kind of lost it maybe my last two weeks there. I was just kind of trying to do too much with it. But uh, you know when it's there, it's it's probably my favorite thing to throw. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, I appreciate well, it, guys. I appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on here. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on yeah. with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. That was uh, Zach, Zach Peak, Orioles pitching prospect. Uh, really good to hear from him, especially after a strong season. He gave us a lot of great insight tonight. Yeah, he did. Yeah. That was that was a fun one. Yeah. Look, I – you know, Zach Peek was a guy who we really didn't have any information on coming into the season because, you know, he didn't pitch um, in 2019, like we mentioned in the interview there. And so, and he seemed like after the trade, you know, I have lots of opinions about that trade still to this day, but, you know, the whole, it's just, uh, was it quantity over quality, which was like complete BS uh, at the time. And now we're really seeing that. And Zach Peek is the guy like, this could be the guy with some of the highest upside probably of those four pitchers. And you're not just saying that because we just interviewed him, but truly uh, he's a guy with an enormous amount of upside there. And like you said, as long as they keep developing this year, big things are in store for him. So it's, it's fun to get to talk to him. Who knew you could get quantity and quality at the same time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it was exactly, I get it. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. We heard a lot of the Zach tonight, but um, it was really good to hear what, how things were like in Aberdeen, because, you know, maybe it was because Aberdeen didn't have a broadcaster. They don't have as much of a media coverage, but I feel like we didn't hear about the Ironbirds in general as much this season, despite some of the players they had. So it was good just to hear about what that clubhouse culture was like. And I kind of got the sense that more of what we heard about Bowie is cohesive throughout the minors and not just in that one place. Yeah, it's nice to know that they're trying to keep things consistent all the way down. I think they have a way they want to develop these guys, not just on the field, but off the field. And, and it's, it's cool to hear that that's, that goes all the way down to the bottom. Yeah. A little justification too, for uh, Bob's pick there for Adam Stoffer. You've been on Adam Stoffer train for a very long time. So that was definitely cool to hear. And some, you know, him shining out a guy like Ramon Rodriguez, that's someone who, you know, a lot of Orioles fans, even those who are like avid listeners of our show and followers of the minor leagues, probably haven't really heard of because he kind of bounced around a bunch of different levels of the minor leagues this year. And he was, I believe, a really late minor league free agent signing. Um, and so it's cool to hear like their guys, this system is a whole lot deeper than just Ali Rutschman behind the plate or even just Maverick Canley. There are a lot of guys and they're all doing their part to make everybody a, a better 
baseball player in the system, I think. So it's, it's really cool to hear these guys' perspective and see that at the end of the day, I think they're having a lot of fun out there on the field. He mentioned that before he hopped on the air, that it was fun this year. And I think that's, to me, one of the most important things for a lot of these guys, because if they're not looking at it as a job, they're having fun. I think you're going to play better. Yeah, and it's I, I like that too that he mentioned Ramon Rodriguez. It's there's glue guys like Willie on that you know they're organizational filler to an extent, but you need those guys too. They serve their purpose and and you know they deserve their props every once in a while. Yeah, and and you do need those kind of guys around. You know, you want to know that when Maverick Hanley's not behind the plate, or even you know even though Zach Peak didn't play with him, when you don't have Adley Rutzman behind the plate, that you're still going to have someone back there who knows how to work with the pitching staff and the pitchers feel comfortable throwing to. Yeah, and shout out to some contribute there in that comment that Aberdeen's a broadcaster. For real, that would be uh, <laughs> amazing. I just, I do. I think you mentioned this earlier, Zach. That you know, it feels like we didn't really hear anything from Aberdeen, uh, and it's because you know we don't have the, the Sam Jelinek's and Paul Fishers and Adam Poles, and uh, we didn't have those guys covering the Ironbirds to give us that good, detailed information and, and educational uh, broadcast. And so it, I think it it hurts these guys a little bit because we try to hype them up as much as we can and show off the good work that they're doing. But I think it would go a long way to have someone there, you know, hyping these guys up there at the field themselves. But Yeah. Even when you post the highlights, it's like a silent double, a silent home run. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Let's all three of us, we could do a good job. Just come on, pay us up. We'll do it. DMs are open. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, with the remote technology that's out there, I could call games with my head in the clouds, literally, while it's <laughs> exactly. going on. So that's for those of you that are watching on stream, I'm in front of a mural that has clouds on it. And that's just the context now for the listeners. They're listening to this on the podcast uh, later on. But um, we'll move up now to Bowie. Uh, their season came to an end over the weekend when they lost the third and final game, the double A Northeast Championship Series to the Akron Rubber Ducks. Came in heartbreaking fashion as Bowie led five to nothing going into the bottom of the eighth, only to see the lead slip away over the eighth and ninth innings. So tough way to end the season, but Bowie had a great year. And it was not just because Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman were both there for a long time, but they had a lot of players step up and have big years. They ended up finishing 73 and 47 with a franchise record 608 winning percentage. Uh, so I'll start with Nick here. Obviously not the ending that we were hoping for uh, in the championship series for the Bay Sox, but just your general takeaways from this season. I mean, it was a really special season there for Bowie. You mentioned the franchise record winning percentage and I know it was, what, 20 games shorter season this year, but still, I mean, that's impressive. Uh, only team in double A Northeast with more than 500 walks, 507 walks in 120 games. We've talked a lot about that this year. They lost a lot of talent to promotions throughout the year, but they're kind of like, you know, Alabama football. Like they didn't rebuild. They just reloaded with these new talents. And the guys that stepped up from high A to double A just really didn't seem to like miss a beat. I mean, Jordan Westberg ended up hitting some numbers here. uh, Ended up hitting 299 in September after a really slow start. Uh, Drew Rom. Drew Rom was just lights out. And he didn't have like a rough start per se to begin his double A career, but it was clear that he was being challenged at the double-A level, which is good. And something clicked, and he didn't give up a single run over his last 14 innings. One walk, 18 strikeouts, and that doesn't include his five scoreless innings in a playoff start at the double-A level at 21 years old with the season on the line. So, you know, despite the promotions of you know, Adley and Stowers and Newstrom and others, like 
Bowie also rattled off like 10 straight wins at the end of the year to put them into the playoffs or in the middle of that playoff race. And so this is a lineup mostly of the unsung heroes, your Johnny Risers and Patrick Dorians and Zach Watsons. And I think it's a testament just to something we've talked about all year, the, the growth of this system and raising the floor. And um, it was a great year for Bowie. And it was cool to hear you know, when we were in Bowie to hear Paul Fritchner say like, hey, that, that baseball IQ of fans who came to games as well was also like off the charts this year. Like fans are going to Bowie because they know these prospects, they know baseball and they want to watch good baseball. And, and Bowie delivered this year. Yeah, it says a lot that they had two players of the year for the Orioles minor league organization and one pitcher of the year, and all three of them, the vast majority of their games played, were in Double A Bowie. So, yeah, and it's cool. You got Patrick Dorian, who was just that steady presence in the middle of the order, pretty much played almost every game, I'm sure. I, I think he missed a couple in the middle there, but just steady presence with uh, some great numbers from a guy who coming into the season, I feel like we didn't really think much of at all. So. Cool to see there. Hopefully he gets some playing time uh, in AAA this week. I don't know if they've announced anything. But, yeah, Toby Welk, all these guys, unsung. Maybe they didn't have the best seasons, but even Andrew Doshbach come in, came up late in the season and showed off his power. So just seemed like everybody came in clutch when they needed to, and, and I think it's a good sign for the coaching and just for the organization as a whole. Yeah, it was really encouraging to me to see players that – we had some questions about coming into the year from that 2019 draft, like Kyle Stowers and Zach Watson go to Bowie and perform the way they did because you saw how well they did at Aberdeen. And the thought is, okay, that's good, but they are, you know, college bats uh, came out of good programs. The fact that they hit well at high A maybe is not terribly surprising, but then not only did they hit at double A, but it seemed like they got better when they got there. And that was, you know, a bit of a trend that I think we saw across the board was that, Players weren't just going to Bowie and playing well. They were getting better. And I think that's a testament to Aberdeen's staff as well as Bowie's staff for preparing the guys, those guys for that jump and then for them to go there and be able to improve. And, you know, as Nick said, Drew Rahm was lights out at the end of the year after being challenged a little bit when he initially got to Bowie. And that's just another example of the adjustments you want to see players make. And I think for me, like, when we enter next year, you already see the conversations on Twitter every day, like, is Kyle Stowers uh, a guy who's going to contribute a lot at the major league level in 2022 for the Orioles? Hopefully. Yeah. But I just feel like there are more guys like Kyle Stowers, even a guy like Robert Newstrom, who you look at and say like, they can fit at the major league level. It's just, how are they going to fit? And it's not like, all right, well, if Stowers comes out next year and has a good year at AAA, maybe he becomes a major leaguer. I just feel like the conversation is taken like ratcheted up a notch with a lot of these prospects this year that we saw in Bowie in Norfolk. So, and I think for me, I, I don't know if I'm explaining that very well. That's just how I've envisioned it. Like in my mind, um, there, there are more, uh, there are more certainties. I think as far as certain you can be when talking about prospects, there are more, there's more of that this year based on the production that we saw this year, at the double A level. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's kind of cool that Gunnar Henderson gets to come up he gets to play in a playoff atmosphere, even though it was only, three short games and he hit 300 with a home run and 964 OPS. So, you know, he came in there, he struggled, definitely struck out like 58% of the time in his one week before the playoffs, but he adjusted quickly and had a great, great uh, three game stretch. Uh, and going back to Drew Rom for a, a moment, I think we all liked Rom to varying degrees coming into this year, but would you have thought back in May that we would be having a conversation in September that Drew Rom thrived at double a and right now should be penciled into open next season in Norfolk's rotation. Cause in my mind, he should be. 
I feel like he'll probably start back in Billy, but I'm, I think he'll be a quick, quick promotion. I just, I would have to go through and just look at what the uh, rotation in AAA would look like. I don't know if he could bang down that door, but once Grayson gets promoted, bring Drew Rahm back up to AAA there. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. He's could be that soft toss and less lefty like Zach Lothar, Alexander Wells, but he's a lot younger than those guys were when they were having their success. And he could be the one that finally comes out and sticks in the rotation. Yeah, I definitely didn't imagine him being this good. And I've always really liked Drew Rom, but I mean, he took it to a whole nother level these last two, three weeks of the season. Uh, and to be so young, I mean, you're talking about four years almost younger than the competition at double A. And he performed very well. And I remember actually, I was thinking about this earlier today uh, when I was putting this together uh, during like the 2020 season. Well, without the 2020 season during the pandemic, uh, Rom, I believe, was in some random pickup league in like the middle of Kentucky with an ERA of like 15 walking like 18 guys in like four innings going up against, you know, D three college bats. And it was like, I know this is absolutely, this means nothing, but what is going on with drew Rom in the middle of Kentucky right now? Uh, and obviously this season proved uh, completely painted a whole different, entirely different picture, which is really good to see. But I just, it was funny remembering that. Yeah, I do remember that. Maybe it was a slow pitch softball league and they were just recording the stats and uh, things got confused. <laughs> It was a battle of the bourbon trail or something like that. I think was the name of the league. <laughs> that that sounds about right. I think the best player in that league might have been like forty something year old Brandon Phillips, the old second baseman or shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, yeah, that was that was strange to see. But twenty twenty was just strange all around. So, so was there anybody? You know, I know that a lot of players stood out at Bowie this year. But while we're focusing on the Bay Sox exclu- exclusively for a few moments. Is there a player that you guys would want to shout out other than the ones that we're going to, have to talk about at the end of the show, obviously? I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I just say, yeah. don't forget about Joey Ortiz. You know, he's going to come back, hopefully, at the beginning of next season, pick up right back up where he left off and and make himself a presence to be, to be known in the organization like he was starting to do before, unfortunately, he got hurt. That's definitely a good one. Um I think just personally, I would want to shout out, since we're talking about catchers that don't get enough love, Chris Hudgens. I think watching Bowie a lot, I think Chris Hudgens, the stat line, you may not have been super impressive, but I think he did a lot to help the pitchers in this organization uh, during his time at Bowie and a little bit of time in AAA. But I think Chris Hudgens was a really good pickup for this organization. And uh, pitching-wise, <clears throat> I'm going to say Cameron Bishop as well. I know he missed a lot of time there at the end, but he finished the year with a pretty strong outing, a couple scores innings, I believe. And Bishop was a guy that I didn't really know, anticipate a whole lot happening out of him this year, to be totally honest. Uh, but he proved me wrong, I think, this year. So I think he's enters 2022, at least as a name to keep an eye on, is probably, hopefully, maybe getting the call to, to AAA next year. Yeah, Bishop's a good one. We'll see if he goes to AFL and, and continues where he left off. For me, I, I would go with Kyle Bronovitz. I, I was just impressed with by him in so many different ways this year. I think that knuckle curveball is a legitimate out pitch that's going to help him succeed somewhere in the major leagues. Um, but one thing that I liked was that Bronovitz was not really challenged at Aberdeen. Uh, he pretty much dominated at high A. And when he got to Bowie, he initially looked like the same pitcher, but then hit a little bit of a rough patch in August before ending the year really strong. So to see him overcome that little bit of a blip where he did struggle and kind of get back to where he had been in pitching just as well, if not maybe even a little bit better than he had early in the year was really encouraging to see. 
Yeah, you love seeing adjustments. You saw Kyle Bradish do the same thing in AAA. Unfortunately, we haven't seen Kevin Smith be able to do that, but maybe that'll be next year. So, yeah, great call there. And a lot, the Branovich, you know, uh, Zach Peak, a lot of these guys we're talking about too. Like, this was their first year. Garrett Stallings as well. This is their very first year of pro ball. And I know, like, you can look at their age, and I don't think that's that's something that's kind of iffy this year when you're looking at age and the level they're at because they had a whole year wiped out. So Stalins, Branovich, Peak, a lot of these guys, this is their very first year of professional ball, and a lot of them were holding their own and pitching very well at the double-A level. And so I think that's that speaks volumes to what this organization has done with pitching prospects. So we'll um, go from one of the big uh... – Scott's now one of the big news items related to the minors, which is that the Orioles did announce their 2021 Player Development Award winners. Um, no surprise, Grayson Rodriguez wins Minor League Pitcher of the Year. Adley Rutzman and Kyle Stowers were named Co-Players of the Year, and Buck Britton wins the Cal Ripken Senior Player Development Award after being at the helm of such a strong year in Bowie. So Rodriguez, I, I don't think, was a surprise at all. He was just so dominant from start to finish this year. Um, and Stowers absolutely deserves to be in that award with Rutzman, with the year that he had, in, in my mind. So I was really happy to see them share that, but uh, I want to hear your guys' thoughts, starting with Bob. Yeah, I think it, it all makes sense. It was all pretty easy calls, but rightfully so. It was pretty exciting to have two guys, or at least even a guy, that is like good enough to be up there with Adley with the year he put up and. I might even give that slight edge to Stowers just because he, he started all the way down at A plus and, and pretty much hit better as he went up each level. So pretty exciting stuff. And yeah, great job, guys. Yeah, I mean, Stowers, 27 home runs, led the entire Orioles organization. He beat out Adley by four home runs there. You mentioned two levels, and he did. He got better. He hit a lot better when he got to double A than he was hitting high A, I think. And yeah, I, I don't know, defense probably didn't come into the equation, but he's also showed some pretty good defense out there in right field. So this is now a guy who's put himself into that conversation of, is he going to contribute at the major league level next year? I think he will at some point for sure. And he's now he's a he's a really exciting piece to watch when I think a, a lot of people probably, he was one of those guys, I think, at the beginning of like prospect ranking season. He was one of them that was kind of all over the place. You know, some fan graphs, I think, was pretty high on him, but others, he was back in top 30 guy. And now he is here. He is a minor league, minor league player of the year. So pretty cool season for him. And some people didn't even have him on their top 30. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. When we were putting together our top 30 before the season started, I knew Stowers belonged on there. And I, he was on my list. And I think he was pretty close to where he ended up, which I believe was around 17 or 18 on our preseason list. Um, but I really didn't know what to make of him because we hadn't seen him in a year and a half. We knew what the track record in college was, which was good power, can draw walks, but strikes out a lot. Didn't hear a lot about his defense. So for me coming into this year, I didn't know how to really rank Stowers, but we got a much clearer picture of the type of player he is this season. And I think he's better than he was in college by far. Yeah, I, I he's taught me a valuable lesson, which is never trust numbers that happen like at the end of the minor league season from recent draftees after a long college season or, you know, they're, you know, they're tired. It's a shock to the system, I'm sure. So just throw those numbers out and start evaluating the, the next year. Except for Colton Kalzer's numbers. Cause those are, those are pretty good, but maybe he was just that special of a talent. So we'll yeah. See. Just imagine how good they'll be next year. So 
One one other thing with Stowers is that he has really stepped it up in Norfolk with the bat lately. Um, and I'll be honest, when he got promoted, my feeling was that I didn't really care what the stats looked like because it's like it's only going to be a few weeks. He's had such a great year. And nothing that he does at Norfolk is going to change that. If he goes there and hits 200, my opinion of him won't change based off of that. But we talked, you know, we've talked a lot tonight about players making adjustments. He's clearly made an adjustment in the last week or two and has gotten so much better. And it's really encouraging to see. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I heard you say that on the on the daily that I listened to the other day, and and that rang true for sure for me. And even this past week, he only struck out like. 22% of the time. So if he can keep that going, he seems like based on our conversation with Ryan Fuller, that he's a guy who's just constantly making adjustments, you know, depending on what he's bringing to the table any given day. So I think he's a guy with a great growth mindset and he's going to continue to adjust and, and try to improve. So I'm, I'll never doubt him again after uh, what he did this season. Yeah. And he's doing it a lot more in Norfolk. He's hitting almost 300, I think 299 in almost 20 games with Norfolk. And he's doing it not so much with the home run ball. It's a lot of the other day, put up his game log here. He had a four hit game the other day. I believe they were all singles, like a three hit game two day, the day before that uh, two or three, two of those hits were singles. Uh, one was a double. So, I mean, that's, that's super positive to see from a, a power hitter like Kyle Stowers. It's not just all power. He can poke it through the outfield or through the infield as well and, and get on base that way. So pretty cool. In for anyone that hasn't seen Stowers, his singles are probably harder hit than a lot of players' doubles. I, when we saw when the three of us saw Stowers back in Bowie down, I think it was like in July, um, he had a home run in that game. But the at bat before that, he had a line out to second base that I swear was harder hit than the home run was. Yeah, I can't wait to see his uh, exit velocity readings. He, and he doesn't look like a guy that can hit the ball that hard. He doesn't look like a, a Stanton or a judge. But, man, the bat flies off his bat. He's... The ball flies off his bat. <laughs> when he goes up there hunting for a pitch, you can tell when he's sitting on a fastball because he swings literally out of his shoes. <laughs> and when he connects on one of those pitches at Camden Yards, like he is going to shatter a window at the warehouse. There's, there's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, there's no question that if he gets two, three solid years at Cannon Yards, it's always going to need to be like among the leaders and home runs hit on Utah Street. Between him, Newstrom, and, and Rushman, it's like, watch out if you work in the warehouse. It's like, it's going to be like you're at uh, the Ironbird Stadium when a foul ball goes behind a home plate into the parking lot. Yeah. So we'll move on now to our final segment of the show, which is where we shout out a player that's not on our top 30 for something they've done lately, whether it's a good game, good week, whatever, and uh, talk a little bit about what they're doing down in the minor leagues. So I'm going to start with Nick, who has picked a reliever that was really on our radar at the beginning of the year, but went through some struggles as the season went on. But uh, let's turn this over to Nick. Yeah, I want to shout out Isaac Madsen for this past week. Uh, we finally see him back on the mound. I was actually, I don't think I watched the Norfolk game. The, he appeared in two games this past week. I don't think I watched the first game. But then I went back and looked at the box score. I was like, oh, Madsen pitched. All right. Uh, I didn't know he was back on the active roster. So I went back and watched his outing. He looked really good. And in his two outings, he tossed three scoreless innings, uh, no runs, two hits, no walks, uh, six strikeouts. So I'm hoping 2021 was just kind of this unfortunate season of injuries and Honestly, kind of some mismanagement on the Orioles' part, kind of like they did with you know Zach Lowther and some other of these pitchers. But 
hopefully he can have a strong spring in 2022 and make the major league roster because this team's going to need bullpen arms next season. And I know the organization was high on him last year to protect him from the rule five draft. So hopefully a rebound is in his future. Yeah, maybe he's I'm, I got Arizona fall league on the, on the brain just because I'm just waiting for that roster, the rosters to drop any day, but I feel like he could be another guy. You know, he missed a big chunk of the year, had a rough season, been through a lot. So, and in the year strong, maybe he gets another chance spring training next year. But I guess I'll transition into my pick, which is also in AAA Norfolk. It's Robert Newstrom, who I just talked about, the guy who hits monster her runs. But that's not all he does. This past week, he hit 300, walked three times for a 391 on base percentage, hit a double home run, stole a base, seven RBIs. He He's just had such a solid season. And if you take away that first month, of the year and Bowie when he got off to, yeah, he had a pretty decent hitting streak in the beginning, but it was like one for four every day. And then I think he struggled a bit after that. If you take that away, he's been one of the best players in the organization throughout the year offensively. So another guy who like Kyle Stowers could be due for his major league debut sometime in 2022. So shouts out to him. If you want to get a look at him, watch uh, MILB TV this week, last chance. This has been on my mind lately, and I'm just going to bring it up uh, on the air here and see what your reaction is. DJ Stewart, you know, has obviously not performed well enough that you would look at him and guarantee that he's going to be on the roster next year in the major leagues. Would you rather see Robert Newstrom in that sort of fourth, fifth outfielder, left-handed bat that goes in and plays a corner spot maybe a couple times a week, gets at bats at D8, kind of the role that Stewart is filling now, or would you prefer to see Newstrom at AAA getting regular at-bats while the Orioles give Stewart another shot? For me, honestly, the way I looked at this is that I've had this opinion for a while now. DJ Stewart has done nothing to earn a roster spot in 2022. Uh, Stop falling for his five-game stretches where he just annihilates baseballs. Uh, it's, it's, it's not real. Uh, it's not going to stick. We should know that by now. Uh, I think this year taught me if this year taught me anything, it's stop holding on to these like cool, cute stories at the major league level. Like just get rid of them. Uh, chance Cisco and others, they're gone. They've had plenty of time to prove themselves. They have it. A guy like Robert Newstrom. I love Newstrom. I've loved him for a long time. Is he a future everyday starting outfield to the major league level? I don't know. It could all click and it could happen. Sure. Without a doubt. Uh, but odds are probably stacked against him just a little bit, to be totally honest, right? But he has earned that opportunity to get those at-bats from DJ Stewart, I think. So I think you have to reward a guy like that. And if he's better than DJ Stewart, I mean, that's not a high bar, but, I mean, anybody, any of these guys can go up there. Zach Watson can go up there tomorrow and be worth negative 0.5 war and hit 210. Like, give the guys who have earned the opportunity a chance. Get rid of your DJ Stewart's. And if Newstrom doesn't pan out, then he doesn't pan out, and you move on to the next guy. you got Kyle Stowers waiting in the wings. you got Colton Kowser. You've got Heston Kerstad swinging a baseball bat again. There are other guys in the system. There's depth there. I'm sick. I'm losing my voice. you got me all hot and bothered about DJ Stewart. <laughs> no, I am right there with you because, yeah, it's just DJ Stewart, yeah, he's going to hit like 200, and he's going to walk a bunch of times. He might hit a few home runs, but he's terrible out in the outfield. At least Newstrom could do better than that. I think, yeah, I I would give him a shot. He's not a guy that needs to be, like, prepped, I don't think, and then get everyday at-bats once he's at the major leagues. I don't know if he's ever going to be that guy. I think if he is going to be that guy, he's going to be a guy that earns it and is not given that opportunity, like maybe a Kyle Stowers will be. So, yeah, let him start the season as a fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder, maybe get some DH. You got Austin Hayes out there. He gets hurt every other week. So 
that's opportunity for playing time right there. And Anthony Santander, he gets hurt a lot too, and he could be trade bait. So I do think Robert Newsom deserves a shot, at least a shot in spring training to prove that he deserves that spot. So that we can uh, go in now to this uh, request here from Simkin Tribute. If you have time to discuss if Santander is out for this week, putting Newstrom on the 40-man and playing him would make him sit out of labor difficulties next year. Um, he also follows up and says Diaz's promotion would be bizarre, although on 40-man, perhaps Bannon, McCoy, and consider Jones an outfielder for the last week. Those are all possibilities. I would say regarding the the labor issues, which is the impending expiration of the collective bargaining agreement, and that if you know there is a work stoppage, players who are on the 40-man roster will be affected by that. Um, that's come up, and it's something we're all aware of, that we don't know how concerned we need to, be, need to be about it yet. What I would say is that that should not be a criteria for whether or not you're going to put Newstrom on the 40-man now, because Newstrom is Rule 5 eligible this offseason. So you have to figure, if you're going to make that move, you're going to have to make it before December anyways. So if the Orioles feel that Robert Newstrom deserves a 40-man roster spot and there's an opportunity in the final week to give him that, then they should just go ahead and do it now. Uh, if there's not, then they should consider in the offseason whether or not he's worth protecting. And we're going to discuss the Rule 5 draft several times over the offseason, most likely, and we're probably going to devote a whole show to it. But I would just say that the Rule 5 factor would be the strongest consideration for me do you want to protect Robert Newstrom? And if the answer is yes, then take advantage of an opportunity now to put him on the 40-man if you have one. It's not a bad call. Yeah, if he wasn't uh, Rule 5 eligible this offseason, I'd say they probably re-signed Stevie Wilkerson for the final week before they put him on the 40-man. But, yeah, since he's going to have to be on there eventually, because I do think he's the guy they'll probably protect, yeah, why not if Santander is really that hurt? I don't know. It's the last six games of the season. It's meaningless. They want to lose anyway, so. I don't care what they do. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And it's a shame that you couldn't bring up a guy. You could theoretically, but it's a shame that a guy like Eusenio Diaz isn't in this conversation to be brought up. And maybe he is, but he definitely hasn't earned that opportunity. Talking about guys earning and not earning an opportunity to play. He hasn't earned that opportunity. He's honestly, I know we're getting ready to make our final updates to our, our top 50 prospect list. And I've updated mine for patrons only. So go ahead and uh, subscribe. Uh, but comes out next week. Uh, but honestly, like I'm going to make one more pass at my list and I'm having a serious conversation is using LDS still a top 30 prospect for me. So like, and if I'm having that kind of conversation, it's, it's sad, but it's also like, he's not going to get the call up. So I agree with Zach's point that if you think Newstrom's going to be a guy you protect, go ahead and uh, bring him up. But then at the same time, like you know, they probably just bring up another arm, the uh, Spencer Watkins or somebody else to take that spot and just roll with the bats they have since like Bob said, they are trying to lose. Yeah, and what was I going to say? Yeah, we need to talk about Yusnil Diaz. I'm in the same boat. I don't think he is a top 30 prospect for me, spoiler alert. And uh, I watched him play Sunday. He just looks so disinterested at the plate. The one at bat I saw, he swings at the first two pitches, like fouls them off, then looks at a curveball that catches the inside corner strike three. He struck out four times in five at bats. He has worse numbers than Ryan Ripken, legitimately. It's... It's pretty bad. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if it's the frustration of this season catching up to him, if it's he's still hurt. I don't know. But at a certain point, there's no more excuses, and he just got to perform, man. Yeah. And there was – shout out to – I think he changed his Twitter handle, but it was uh, at P-Dubs on Twitter, I think. Uh, um, but 
I know Norfolk had a walk off not too long ago, and he made a comment on the video, the clip we posted that, you know, Diaz was kind of not really celebrating with the rest of the team and how that was kind of a bad look. And I joked and said, well, that's the most emotion he's shown all year. And like, to be honest, like that wasn't even like a joke. That was honestly true. He just looked completely disinterested. And I think the biggest knock on him, though, is now I think John Mioli said it best that he's not an Elias guy, you know, so he's the Orioles don't really have a desire, I think, to really be aggressive with him. And so maybe he also gets that vibe as well on top of the injuries and everything else. I, I don't know, but it's he's been a disaster this year. There's no other way to put it. Yeah, the, that he really has struggled this year. Um, we'll transition back now um, to my pick for the final segment, which is Patrick Dorian, who we talked about a little bit earlier. Dorian, I'm just picking in this spot because I did want to take a few minutes to discuss this season. It's not necessarily related to anything that's happened in the last week. Um, comes out of nowhere, really. 22 home runs, 836 OPS. Plays a pretty solid third base, at least shows good arm strength there. 25, but, you know, as Nick mentioned, we kind of had to discount AIDS to a certain extent this year because of the factors surrounding the pandemic. But another point that's worth bringing up with Dorian, with this season included, he still only has 276 professional games under his belt. So we're not looking at the guy that's gotten a lot of time to necessarily gain experience in pro ball. For him to put together the season he did was really impressive. I was hoping that he was going to go to Norfolk because this is another guy that's 40-man or Rule 5 eligible this offseason, and I wanted to see how he fared against older pitching. But on the whole, you just have to be really happy with the numbers that he put up in Bowie, showed a little bit of uh, good glove work too, and he's also a guy that can play first base. Uh, so left-handed bat, can play both corners, has some power. Um, so Patrick Dorian definitely looks like a good player to me after this year. Yeah, and he can thank one person for not getting a shot at AAA this season. That's Ryland Bannon, who struggled so bad that he didn't get his shot in the major leagues, which I'm sure they were expecting to happen at some point. And I think if he would have been promoted, Bannon, then Dorian probably would have got that shove up to AAA. But is he might be better than Bannon. Who knows? I mean, they're both similar guys, I feel like. Bannon probably has, I don't know, I was going to say more power, but Dorian slugged 22 home runs this season, so... I don't even know. They, but they're pretty similar players. One's right-handed, one's left-handed. Nick, what do you think? It's so tough. That's him and Robert Newsham are. Just, it's really tough questions about you know what is their future hold. I think for right now, it's just shout out to Patrick Dorian for having a really fantastic season. Uh, overall, he it was a really good year. Twenty-two home runs, twenty-one doubles. I mean, he got on base at a super high clip. Um, he was a big part of that Bowie team and a big reason why Bowie was so successful this year. And his backstory is just so amazing as well for him to overcome everything that he did uh, and, and get back into baseball and, and find his groove now. Um, you know, we'll see what the future holds for him. I do a shout out. I believe it's a out of state O's on Twitter uh, posted a photo. I think he was at game three there when Akron clinched the double A Northeast uh, championship series. And he got a photo of Dorian. Dorian was the only Bay Sox player out there watching Akron celebrate. And that, that, that hit me in the gut a little bit. Like that was, that was a tough photo to, to see because you see what it means to a guy like Patrick Dorian. Uh, it was kind of this culmination of, of a good season for him. You know, and unfortunately, he couldn't finish it with the ring. But we'll see what his future holds. I don't know. If he's left unprotected, is he a guy, you know, a team like the Pirates take? Possibly. I don't know. But we'll see. Well, he was in their system at one point, and that's true. if there's anybody that fits the bill of 
we need uh, help at the league minimum next year, especially if a DH is implemented in the National League. Pirates are one of those teams you would look at right away. Definitely. So a uh, quick programming note. Bob will not be with us next week. Uh, Nick and I will be on with uh, Baltimore Sports and Life owner Chris Stoner to take a look at the Orioles' uh, major league season and the Norfolk Tides. We'll recap their seasons a little bit. So, uh, Bob, we're going to miss you next week, but you know we'll know you'll be back soon. Of course. I'll be listening and. You got to get the owner of the site to fill my shoes. They're so big. No, <laughs> I'm getting, you know, these players at the end of the season, they, they get their, all their surgeries done to fix the issues they've been dealing with. They, they do the velo <laughs> to try and increase their velocity. I'm getting my tonsils out, try to improve my voice for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm getting my tonsils out, but hopefully I recover quick and I'm back in a week or so. So I'm sure you guys will hold it down and I'll look forward to listening. Yeah, we'll miss you, but uh, we'll be keeping that seat warm for you. So for Nick and – oh, go ahead, Bob. I'll say I hope I don't get Wally pipped. (laughs) Be sure to continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Birds. Check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, and more. Bob has a couple of articles up today that are new that you should definitely check out. Um, So be sure to do that until we're back on the air next week with Nick, myself, and Chris Stoner. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Birds. Is your wallet lighter than usual after a fun-filled summer? A little cash can go a long way, which is why the Chime checking account has tons of benefits you'll love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today. Get started at Chime.com fee-free. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services and debit cards provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stripe Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer.